sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you, and anoint you, for your hot forehead, oh, then you'll feel everything's all right, yes, everything's fine, and it's cool and the ointment's sweet, for the fire in your head and feet, close your eyes, god damn it, close your eyes, and relax, think of nothing tonight. Everything's, everything's all right. Yes. Right, yes. Everything's all right. Yes. Everything's all yes. right. Woman, yes. your fine ointment, brand new and expensive, should have been saved for the poor. Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver or more. People who are hungry, people who are starving, they matter more than your feet and hair. Not as a... Yeah! It was funky. It's not as funky as I feel in my heart, you know? You ever, you ever have that? I know. Well, I just started singing lessons, and I think I'm at the unfortunate uncanny valley where <laughs> I just barely know enough to now understand the true depth of what bad singers we are. <laughs> That's so fine. this time was yeah. extra rough. Well, and uh, we just saw this. Uh, where did where do we see it? Was it Pantages? Somewhere in L.A. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ, superstar, of course. I think it was the Pantages. Is yeah. to what I refer. Yeah. And I got to say, you and I both have a long childhood history of not liking this song as much, but that show really turned me around. That, they just it nailed it. It was an amazing rendition. <laughs> really the, great. The King Herod production. I would, I would look at what was like the 40th anniversary, 50th anniversary, something like that. Look up the something King like Herod that. costume yeah, that's from what this they thing. Just did. It's wild. <laughs> Dynamite. Uh, yeah, so I hope we did it justice. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't. But uh, also, now, I have like a now, pulled. Yeah, I have a herniated disc in my neck, and it's acting up today. I'm gonna blame that on my on my uh, my lackluster okay. performance. My dog is sick. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if that. Uh, no. Can we factor that in as well? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a. You know, it's kind of a love song. All right, but that's that's that. That's this is science or whatever the podcast where we slowly work our way through a rendition of Jesus Christ Superstar one block at a. An excruciating block <laughs> at a time. And uh, I'm one of your hosts, Michael Swaim. Who's here with me? Griffin Rowell. That's right. And uh, this is science or whatever. And this is specifically the metaverse part of science of, or whatever. And this is specifically part three of the metaverse part of science or whatever. And uh, I need to point out right off the bat, and then I will cede most of my time to Griffin, who's here to tell us all about the metaverse and related technologies. But uh, I just, as a good podcaster, have to point out, we lied to you in several regards <laughs> previously. We said we would be recording this episode oh. from within a functioning metaverse. Not true. You're just listening to it the regular old way with your ears. Uh, and we said there will be four we now don't know. Is that is this right? We don't know how many there will be. There will be however many we need to get to the end. I think so. Well, no, no. I think it'll be. Well, Total? I think it'll be four. I have eleven pages of notes, <laughs> so so we'll see. I think the first episode yeah. was like three pages of notes. I, okay. So, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, we'll you meant eleven pages it. of notes total. I thought you meant for this episode. <laughs> Woof. All right. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, so yeah. but much like all these Kinda. technologies yeah. uh the metaverse 
Griffin did. I don't want to throw you completely under the virtual bus. Griffin made a metaverse for me. My computer can run it okay. And it's <laughs> no shade at thrown at Griffin, but like, it's fine. It's nothing spectacular to like look at. So we decided to just do a regular audio episode. Yeah. But no, it's. Yeah. We could talk about what went into it. It, do, it does have a photo, a herd of photogrammetric brachiosauruses, but that's they don't the main look thing that I wanted to bring up is in this metaverse, and just to explain to a layman what I mean is a web browser link that Griffin sent me, and I click on it, and I'm in a little virtual room, and I can turn around by clicking and dragging. I can look around, and there's stuff he put in there, and he's a freaking nerd, so it's like a space capsule and a dinosaur. But then, uh, Explain what you mean about the brachiosaurs. How'd you get the brachiosaur model in there? Because I think that's an interesting technological tidbit. Oh, oh. yeah. No, my uh, my kids have a giant Jurassic World brachiosaurus, mm. like three feet tall. Super cool. Um, but I put it on my my kitchen island, and I took I think like two hundred and forty pictures of it, like rocking around in a circle at three different elevation mm. levels. So like straight on and then one below and then one above and there's a software called meshroom you can use where it basically stitches together all of the pictures and makes a point cloud and then creates a 3d model out of that um and then yeah i have a 3d model of this actual toy dinosaur but the head is too small (laughs) so basically it looks like a few triangles in the shape of a head. It doesn't actually quite look like a perfect recreation of the Everyone's trying their best. And that includes the people working on the photogrammetric software. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get into format. Oh, no, no, no. No, Meshroom's yeah. awesome. My dad does it. My dad can actually do it really well. But yeah, I, was I don't mean to denigrate the fine work of... What is it? Meshroom? Okay. No, yeah. Yeah, Meshroom, it's amazing. I'm sure it is. <laughs> it's amazing. Ex- ex- explain that and even more as we get into format. What are we talking about today as it pertains to the metaverse, Griffin? So the last couple times we talked about, okay, what is the metaverse? And we talked about what existing companies mm-hmm. are going to be doing. Today, we get into the, I will be honest, the heavily biased uh, explanation of Kind of the indie metaverse, the decentralized metaverse, the the thing that I think everyone wants to see rather than Facebook. But I, 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 I won't lie. This is going to be. This is just propaganda. Well, because just to recap, you ended last but, episode by uh, sort of saying that this is in part a call to action because the metaverse doesn't exist yet, or at least the strictures that define it don't aren't fully realized. And you have a stance on how you'd like it to be. Like it to take shape, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's the difference between basically what we've had for the past twenty years, or figuring out how we can go in different directions that are hopefully more equitable and you know respectful of people's privacy and fix all the mistakes that we've uh, we've had to live with when we decided that selling ourselves to corporations was a great idea. <laughs> so. Um, you know, it basically what we have here is we have Meta. They're they're building, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook. They're building this this metaverse thing. It's called Horizons right now. Um, I don't have you used it. Have you gone in Quest and like Oculus Quest and done any? This other is mic? how dumb I am. 
I don't think so, but maybe. The, well, like I, if, all I've done is sign into my quest, and then I'm in a virtual space, and I use that to access my games, and it has a theater, and it has a social component. But that's not the metaverse. I know it's not, and I hear you sneering at me. What is, no, what has made, what has meta no. put into it? Oh, they've got this thing called okay. Horizons, which is basically like the Facebook version of, it's it's the thing that they're basing their whole metaverse okay. play on. So it's got like some user generated content tools and, you know, you can be these like goofy looking half bodied avatars and play ping pong or whatever, um, you know, super, super clean and uh, nice and corporate. That's what you would expect from a company constantly just fighting PR disaster well, after PR I'll, disaster. I can, um, but that's I what can we, say from that's working within right the video games journalism field now that the Quest 2 was wildly successful in large part because it somehow is still they're able to manufacture them at scale and get them to people. So it's one of the gaming things that is like, at a good price point and people can actually get their hands on for the most part. So I do think the quest two was like a big seller this holiday season. And I'm looking at horizon worlds now. Yeah. I get, yeah. It looks like you said, clean and cheerful and colorful. <laughs> right. It's, it's the, it's like the Wii totally. version of the yeah. metaverse, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah, so that will be appealing to people. You know, it's going to have, it's going to have some utility. People will have fun with it. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg said they're going to have marketplaces and people will use it the same way they use Facebook, but everything that exists in horizons and whatever following products mm -hmm. meta comes out with are likely to be closed. Meaning meta will own that the same way they own everything on Facebook, right? Like, you can put whatever you want on there, but as soon as it's on the platform, basically you're just giving away all your rights to it. Um, and while that might be okay for content creators, cause I, they're going to have a low commission mm -hmm. rate and stuff. Uh, the things you buy, digital products that you buy, they might not really meta won't have it in their interest really to make it, work with other platforms. And we're going to get into that. The, the entire next episode is about how the metaverse will be stitched together from all these mm. different technologies. Um, but basically what that means is there will be no interoperability or content portability, likely. Um, they have talked about NF doing some experimentation with NFTs and stuff, but we'll see what that means. And their approach to it will likely be very different from the people who we're talking about. Okay, today. but my new understanding, um, my newfound understanding of the blockchain as a series of nested, basically contractual transactions, that is the kind of thing that would fuel the ability to keep ownership in the hands of content creators, right? Like that's how you would track all that in theory. Yes, and so, so, it, so that it gives ownership, but the actual use of that of those objects. Like if I, if I buy, if I buy mm -hmm. a jacket mm -hmm. in real life, right? No one can tell me, and we're going to get into this much more, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but no one can tell me I can only wear it in certain places. It's a thing that I own. If meta sells you an NFT, 
they can certainly put uh, or they can put licensing restrictions on it still and they can create it in a way that it's just not that useful anywhere else, right? Like if if they only want meta specific uh, wearables for avatars, for instance, it vanishes they, they when you leave their area. Make it difficult. Yeah. Okay, so it has kind of like a. Well, it might not. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that's what <laughs> the Disney NFT experiences, at least for right now, that's what they sound like they're going to be. It'll be mainly like NFTs that work, mm-hmm. that are like, you have the 3D model, but they only do stuff if you're in the Disney metaverse right like because they're they're saying they're having their own metaverse right so uh you know that's going to be that's going to be a big difference between who we talked about yesterday and the people we're talking or not yesterday last time and the people we're talking about today uh and and this is kind of the idea of the open metaverse and the open metaverse is like a very romantic ideal of what this evolution of the you know, of, of what the internet basically is going to be and really trying to double down on some of the earlier ideological hopes for the internet. Um, and th- it's really interesting because the reason things didn't work last time is really just because of the, I mean, it's basically just the economic incentives of the people building the internet, right? At some point it becomes detrimental to a corporation to be as open as even probably the people who started those corporations intended it to be, uh, just because at some point you have to look at a, you know, a, a profit and loss statement and go, Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't share everything that we do with everyone. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that's where we are now. Um, but the open metaverse is an idea that, this convergence of technologies, uh, you know, uh, NFTs and the spatial, spatial web and increased game gamification, um, is really creating an environment where instead of instead of companies trying to capture all of the value of the metaverse, like they did with with social media, for instance, right, like Facebook, it may actually be such a giant opportunity that working together and making, you know, the pieces of it interoperate and, and, and work outside of your own platform. It, it Mm -hmm. may be that we're in a time where, where those incentives are are more aligned with, with kind of the ideals. Um, We're going to, you know, we'll find out how this all plays out. And I think this is, is why I wanted to do the podcast and, and, be here for everyone. So is, the idea being like capitalism still holds sway and the metaverse is built upon or a reflection of that, or if you want to call it just the human nature to do incentivized behaviors and not do unincentivized behaviors. But uh, it sounds to me like you're saying we may be reaching a point where these giant companies could make even more money if they share their toys a little bit or if their toy is able to plug into so-and-so's toy. I don't mean to... <laughs> take everything so, down to the scale so twice, I, I, but that's like how it's starting. No, I think that's actually, <laughs> I think that's really like an interesting, it's an interesting point because ultimately they may not make as much money, but mm. the alternative may be that they can't exist, right? If you, if, uh, if you hang on so tightly 
to these controls that that corporations have traditionally had over their technology platforms. Yeah. But the but the consumers see this world. It, it's almost like an authoritarian government in the real world at this point, right? Like if well, and especially look see... at the stories where. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, no you, you you can. Well, I was just going to say the stories we're already telling ourselves as far as every story now is like a multiverse crossover super event. It feels like we demand that now. Like Spider-Man has to meet Batman has to do, you know, we don't we want things to be stitched together. Everyone understands that brands own everything, but we want those brands to interconnect in a meaningful way. I I think so. And I I think with the not just with the huge crossover events like like Marvel and stuff like that, but with these, you know, just look at the NFT industry right now. It's a very small industry, mostly amateur, but like the the amount of content that is being created and the licensing that is that is being used, like Creative Commons licensing, commercial licenses for these NFTs, people are remixing this stuff, crossing over adding utilities that that work together um, in ways that just have not been possible before now. And you talked about capitalism still existing and and using those incentives to, you know, to, to make this open environment. Um, but that's actually, you know, there there are I, think, I would say that there are three communities that I can think of here in the open metaverse. There's the open metaverse that's kind of like traditional, more of like the second life open metaverse. Janus, the thing that I built that, um, that the little world that we were going to, that you know, I showed you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That was from like 2016-ish. High Fidelity is another Philip Rosedale thing, the guy who made Second Life. And it's all been kind of, it, it's that there's like a big, there's a lineage there. Then there's the, then there's the crypto people. And the crypto people <laughs> have taken some of those lessons, but have also kind of tried to reinvent the wheel a little bit. And they're very focused on these economic incentives around ownership to drive hype cycles and and increase attention and, and kind of create these like, you know, these fever pitch, uh, fear of you know the FOMO, the fear of missing out that a lot of the traditional metaverse people don't like. They see it as kind of scammy. And, or unsustainable um, in the long term, or and, whatever, and unsustainable, yeah. right? A lot of these pay to play to earn games, they're they're not sustainable mm-hmm. economies. They're they're economies that are designed to last for, you know, maybe a couple years, and then, <laughs> and then dot 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 profit. Then like, everyone in the comments is spamming dead game, dead game, and yeah, then we move yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah, right. And and we're not there yet. I don't. You know, we're. I think Axie Infinity has some economic problems. Axie Infinity is like the the OG super, super crazy crypto game that's caused like an entire industry to spawn. Um, but so, so there are those, those are the two main factions, but then there's a third faction, which is the pr- probably leaning more on the crypto side. And then also post capitalism. So, so you've got this wing of people <laughs> who are like, so there's the DAOs. Decentralized there autonomous. has to at some point be a post-capitalism. I mean, it like well, in the infinite the, I mean, nature so that, of time. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the that's the outlook of this group. Is is we live in a world where our perspective is scarcity, and especially in the digital world, 
scarcity is a, an artificial construct, right? Um, right? Some people argue that even scarcity in the real world is artificial because it's the perspective you use. I, actually, I, I kind of disagree with that. But in the virtual world, scarcity is artificial because you can make as many, like the kind of the argument against NFTs, right? Like I can just right click this. Why would I spend $10,000 yeah. on it? Um, and so they've, they kind of take that approach of like, well, why not? Why is there an economy of the metaverse? Everything should be free and open and just built on each other. Uh, and, and I think that's like, I think that's a beautiful uh, hope. And I'm not quite sure. I believe that the psychology of humanity will be ready for that anytime soon because it costs money to cost money to run servers and people need to be rewarded still, in some some way people for their still time feel and the way they feel about money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but you know, I, I think working towards that is is noble. And I think that the people who are working towards that will probably come up with many great innovations that will that will help usher these things in, in you know and further that cause yeah. even or if we don't get to the ideal capitalism right? yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. let me ask you this real quick if in your assessment on the spectrum of using the internet as a guide right because that is a place where we've clearly seen this like play out uh everyone remembers there were times where what was it called net neutrality that's what it was called mm -hmm. um where we all rallied around the idea of the open versus the closed internet on the spectrum of a completely closed authoritarian bullshit, like, uh, you got to pay to, to move along internet to a free open, impossibly utopian internet. What is the internet we have on a scale from like one to 10? Oh, um, in your opinion, wait, 10 being totally open, 10 being like what the dream of what the internet could have been. And yeah. one being the worst case scenario, what is the internet as I experience it today? Is it a three? Oh, you know, I actually think that, I think it depends on how you use it, to be honest. Um, hmm. I, I would actually maybe give it a five or a six. And I'll tell you, and I, and I actually, the reason why is because most of the internet is pretty free and open, I would say. Like if you use WordPress or you know, you have your own hosted site. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty self-sovereign, right? Like, I mean, you, you own those domains, you, uh, you All could I'll say is, but there is an algorithm constantly working in the background to make sure you only see the types of content that please that algorithm, you know, there so, is, so yeah, that aspect to it. Yeah. So that's why I would say, actually, you know, maybe I'll put like maybe a four or a five. Um, Aha, because down a notch. <laughs> so, so there, there are these tools that are, and I, and I actually think that we're not going to get to a nine or a 10 because I think a 10 mm -hmm. means everyone is self hosting, uh, their own websites and in the future, their own virtual worlds. And mm -hmm. that means that they have to either have powerful enough computers and the technical know-how to do that hosting, which is a, a, just a not huge, everyone wants to even bother. Yeah, not just not everyone. I I would say like 
99.9% of people don't want to do that. Do you want to do you want to set up your own <laughs> AWS uh, instance and like host your own website and make sure it's staying up 24 hours a day? It's it's a horrible burden. And so that's why we have things like so so WordPress is great because it's open source and if you want to right you can ho- you can self-host a WordPress site. No one does but that. If, but they go to Bluehost or something like mm-hmm. that, right? And then what Facebook offered us all is, look, you don't have to know how the internet works. Fill out this short form and you'll have your own little web page and it's called a Facebook. Right. Um, and then so Go- I just think, yeah, it's interesting to look. Right. It's interesting to look at the internet and think, okay, that's one way that the metaverse could go. It is. And that's why we're having this conversation publicly. And that's why the mm-hmm. Twitter is full of fights about the metaverse and people are on discord talking about this way more than is probably mentally healthy uh, because it, it means a lot to people. Uh, I think everyone would, right. would, you know, the people that I, I am hanging out with on discord, a lot of them are on the nine or 10 spectrum. They're like, no, I want to make my own virtual world with, because it's mm-hmm. fun. I'm a, I'm a maker. I'm going to 3D yeah. model this thing, set it up exactly the way I want, and invite my friends over to it. That's the most important thing. It, it, it's a real extension of me. Um, but they are, you know, that's a, that's a super minority. And I think the ultimate path forward is for people with that interest to create the tools that will allow, you know, normies to to make their worlds and express themselves without the horrible burden of knowing how photogrammetry and, <laughs> and volumetric right. capture, how to and build something modeling. from scratch. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a very, it's a very high technical hurdle. So that's where we yeah. are right now. And I think through that process of making those tools, well, it, the ideal that, you know, I would say we should shoot for in the, in the medium term is, you know, probably like a seven on the, on the openness sale scale and then maybe if the people who have their their dream of post-capitalism can figure out ways so that everyone can host their own world and we can all actually have decentralized hosting and and share that hosting burden with each other across every every machine then we might then we you know we could start moving into the the nine or ten openness but right now i don't think anyone actually wants that level of openness to be honest Mm. and uh there was an article by the founder of Signal, you know, like the encrypted, he's a cryptographer. He did the, uh, right. Yeah. Signal, the, the messaging app. Basically, that was his main point is like, you all talk about all this, all this freedom and, you know, the NFTs are going to save us. But in the end, no one actually wants ownership of their stuff. They want to know that they can control their stuff. But if they have to do any work, to, to host or, or, you know, maintain a presence like that just basically wipes out the entire uh, customer base. Like you said, 99% yeah, like, of the people. Yeah. No one will waste their time. So and I can I'm, I can tell like, you the tools. Yeah, it's hard enough just leading my life and yes. dealing with my sick dog and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we, like we did last time, it's probably worth talking about some of the some of the more notable uh, things out there right now. And mm-hmm. I think starting with the, the crypto platforms, uh, there are a couple that stand out and they have huge hype. They're getting so much money from venture capitalists 
and it's it's really interesting right now because as far as I can tell, they don't actually have that many players, right? Like it, it's like what if someone made World of Warcraft and no one came, but it's seen as it's seen it seems to be. But all the angel investment is still there. Yeah, yeah every, it, all the money's in place, and everyone's waiting for the party to start. Right. So it's like some of the stuff is like, oh no, we're building World of Warcraft for five years from now, and we're gonna spend, you know, eighty million, ninety million dollars to prop to it up there, until yeah. the world's ready for it. So we'll see if that happens. But the you know the the, the biggest platforms in my mind are. Uh, Decentraland, which is probably the most famous, and also, uh, I would say, probably the least useful at this point, uh, CryptoVoxels. And then there are other ones like uh, Somnium Space, which is mainly focused on NFT galleries. But I think we'll talk a little bit more. They have some really cool stuff that they're doing. And uh, there's this thing called the Sandbox, which is the new, the, the hot young thing. It's it's kind of like a Roblox, but it's crypto and it's all um, web based or at least the you can get to some of the experiences through the web. I think they might have a, a native client for the actual building part, but those are those are the big ones. So let's start with Decentraland. Decentraland, I think, started out 2017, 2016, and it was the actual project that it was was someone set up a group of pixels and said, these pixels are parcels of land, and uh, I'm going to use Ethereum smart contracts to sell these parcels of land to you. Give me money. And they did that. It was very successful. And I'll use them. What's that? Was the promise that I'll use the money to develop? Like right now, it's just a pixel, but you'll own it forever, and it will become something more? Or is it, it will always be a pixel? Fuck you. Give me the money. I... (laughs) I think that they always did have a plan, like a, a roadmap to get from there to here. Um, so right. they did that. Then they did an ICO during the an initial coin offering. It was like the, I don't know if you remember this, but it was, there was like is an that ICO the equivalent bubble. of like, okay, like the when there when Bitcoin is first offered, that's an ICO. Um, so starting Bitcoin today, you can buy is Bitcoin not a good example, but. Okay. Ba- on Ethereum, you can make your own cryptocurrency, like ba- based on ah. Ethereum called an ERC twenty, and you basically just like mint all of the currency at, at once, and then you can like distribute. You can sell it and distribute but, it out. Okay. However you want. So I'm right in assuming it's the crypto equivalent of an IPO, right? Yes, it is exactly okay. the crypto equivalent of an IPO. There was a bubble in like 2017. A bunch of people got scammed. The SEC said what's happening now and now it's very difficult to do (laughs) (laughs) so um but but decentraland was one of the big winners in that i think they got like 20 million dollars or something um Mm -hmm. so from then to now they started building this web-based virtual world engine based on unity which is the probably the main competitor to unreal engine and it's the thing that all of the it's the it's the engine that most of the web platforms use yeah. okay and a lot of modern video games more and more right as well yeah. so it's pretty much all of the metaverse platforms are built on this which means they all have uh similar restrictions and 
and uh, advantages in the graphics and things like that. Uh, essentially, it's not super good looking, I'll say. It is the most. That's another fascinating aspect to me is that they all have a unique art style, which an art, you know what I mean? Visual style itself is is an individual form of creative expression of like your own identity. It's weird to think that some team of artists will get paid to design what the universe will look like <laughs> or like what is the what is the art style we will settle on for? Well, that's the metaverse. It looks like this. I, so fascinating to me. I, that's it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next episode with interoperability, but it's mm -hmm. a super good question. And I hope the answer and it's it's up to the, everyone, you know, everyone building in the metaverse to make sure mm -hmm. this happens. But I think the answer should be there is no answer. It is. It's just dependent on where you go. It should be open. And that's one of the big difficulties is how do you. How do you go from a super a photorealistic, uh, you know, whatever whatever place neighborhood yeah, or whatever we call it to, yeah. to like the Salvador Dali world, right, where everything's melting and <laughs> like what what mm. happens? Does your avatar change? Can it change? How do you do that kind of stuff? So these are these are super difficult questions that no one yeah. has answers to right now. Um, Decentraland. The land, so the central land is, is like the origin of the land rush, you know, the, the scarce mm -hmm. land NFT. I should explain this, shouldn't I? The, so so a, a lot of these metaverse platforms, I told you that the central land sold a pixel and said, this is land and the central land. What mm -hmm. that means is they make it a limited resource. So unlike Facebook, I can't just go to the central land and create a world plop it down and invite my friends to it. I have to have this, an actual, you know, quote unquote, physical location within Decentraland. And I build my experience on it. And then I can, and then people can see it when they're walking around Decentraland. CryptoVoxels is another one who's done this. And basically what it means is like, when they sell these things, there's no control over who's buying it. So I can be the most cynical person in the world, buy a bunch of land into central land, expect it to become scarce and there's demand for it, and then it'll go up super high in value. But I have no intention of actually doing anything to make Decentraland better. So mm -hmm. <laughs> what happened is Decentraland is basically just like empty plots of land, pretty much, of these people who were just holding on parcels with no intention of doing anything fun in it. So it's like a it's kind of a wasteland. Uh they have, By the way, it's cell shaded. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> it's vertex coloring. So Okay. And that's gotcha. one of the that's one of the things about Unity actually that uh is is difficult is they have there's there are some limitations because Unity's a one-stop tool and and it, it's mainly a game tool, right? Which kind of uses right. native clients. So some of the some of the features of Unity are a little bit muted when when it's on the web. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about one solution later on. But that's that's potentially a, an opportunity for for other people to do more native web tools. Decentraland 
is uh, it's based on this thing called mana. That's their cryptocurrency that they use. You buy stuff in the game with it. Um, and really all of, all of these mechanics with the scarce land and having to buy things with their specific cryptocurrency means that they have strong control over the narrative of like what Decentraland is, but it also means like 13,000 people use it a day, which is incredibly small. And, you know, I think, uh, the prices of Decentraland is like three ETH right now, which, uh, Ethereum's kind of tanked lately, but that's like 10,000 bucks. You know, it's, it's an insane amount of money for anyone who's not just crypto rich and wants to own a piece of Decentraland. So then there's a crypto voxels, kind of a similar story. Uh, it's in voxel art, but it's a little bit cheaper and they have a much more open policy to central land. You have avatars that you build inside to central land, uh, the wearables. So, so avatars have wearables like by hats and sunglasses and stuff. All of that stuff exists within to central land. None of it's going anywhere. Decentraland's kind of like, even though it's crypto, it's, I would say it's the most closed crypto, uh, world. It does okay. a lot of good stuff with open source. They give Blender, the 3D modeling uh, software, a lot of money. They, they do they do good stuff in the community, but they do have a lot more control. Kind of as I think as like the earliest per- player in this in this uh, space. I mean, from a layman's perspective, just looking at screen caps, I will say Decentraland at least looks cheery and pleasant to be in. Crypto Voxels looks like a Blade Runner nightmare of random bullshit. <laughs> Like, uh, I don't like the look of crypto voxels. I personally just hate voxel art. I don't like Minecraft just doesn't do it for me. I love how so flexible the, it is. Is voxel art art built on blocks? Yeah, voxel, voxels are... What does voxel mean? A voxel is a volumetric pixel. So, like... Oh, okay. Yeah. 3D pixel. That makes yeah, sense. A 3D ah. pixel. Um, and so that's what crypto voxels is. It's a... It's a it's a pixel okay. world, uh, which means that they have... So Decentraland has really difficult builder tools, and you, you basically have to be one of these metaverse architect types to, to do anything really in Decentraland. Crypto Voxels has a more approachable voxel editor yeah. like Minecraft. It's like right? snapping Legos together. Yeah, right. exactly, which means it's much more approachable, uh, but it also means like, you know, it's got Everything a kind has of... That a, blocky look. It's got kind of yeah. a weird look. Um, and then the sandbox is also very similar to that. It's a, it's a voxel editor. But the thing with the sandbox is it's actually made by a game company. So the sandbox is a non-crypto game, a not mobile game, I think, from like 2012. And they've been developing this voxel editor for the past nine years. And they made a, you know, a strategic decision to basically refactor the entire game into a crypto game. And now that's what the sandbox is. And it's getting it's getting a huge buzz. It's probably the most popular. They have a lot of deals with big brands like Atari and, and uh, other giant companies, as well as a lot of uh, crypto people like uh, mm. Ar- Artifact and Bored Apes and all that. Yeah, it looks pretty. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's Given for voxel art, it's pretty. It is, yeah, it is the like most the advanced... Okay, I would say it's the most out. advanced um, crypto metaverse platform. And okay. they are also, I, I, I'm not quite sure how open they're planning to be. They, but they, they're very 
communicative about the open metaverse. It's like a big through line for their business. I'm not quite sure how all their wearables work or or how they're how they're planning to do that, but I know that that uh, the sandbox is very into it. Um, but scarcity is still part of it, right? Like yes, you still have land to scarcity. Own. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm looking at a topographical, and it's like Atari owns this whole wing of the sandbox, and I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's still it. So those ones, Snoop Dogg, all operate. Yeah, plant. Snoop Dogg's. <laughs> But they they all they all operate under the same principle of of you buy land, you develop on it, and you have this branded experience within the sandbox. Okay, so that's and that's kind of like the city model, right? Okay, so so if you think of the metaverse mm-hmm. as just this oh 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 planet or something, these are the these are the places that are trying to become the New York cities or something in the metaverse. Okay. Right. Uh, the metaverse will not only be these platforms, but I think it's probably a decent bet that in this open metaverse ecosystem, this is going to be this is going to be what happens, right? It's the same reason people go to World of Warcraft. There could network effects on these platforms. Brands can can make their name known. It also means that they're kind of beholden to an organization, and if the organization does something they don't like. Like, like, I doubt Disney would ever be on Decentraland because they have no, they have no real control. They wouldn't want to cede control to, yeah, right. okay. Um, but Decentraland is also run by a DAO. And if you remember what that is, a decentralized autonomous organization, that means that it's, uh, it's actually run by a group that is not technically, they might be a corporation just based on how they set up originally. But it, what it means is that the governance of this corporate of this corporate structure is all of the coin holders, and so that means if anyone owns mana that they use in the game to buy things, they also have voting rights for how the platform is run. And this is kind of the backbone of the like the player owned metaverse or player owned uh, platforms that. Cri- and are is your voting power? ratioed to your buying power does that make does that question make sense like well, can if, you vote more if you own more land uh not land but but mana so your your okay. voting power is directly tied to your plutocratic power <laughs> your investment into the system itself yes yeah. yeah so and that is it's the biggest i think personally it is the biggest weakness of crypto organizations and also I will say one that m- pretty much all of them also seem to hate. This is a this is a technological limitation at this point. And I'm going to I I didn't plan on doing this, but I I, f- I feel the urge to take a nerdy detour here. Um mm-hmm. so these DAOs are run by on-chain meaning the blockchain is recording, uh on-chain voting and each each organization has its own rules on how this works. There's a lot of like complicated game mechanics and things that these organizations are doing. It's actually really fun. I think it's super uh, interesting. And you do things like you have to, you don't just vote based on how many coins you have. You actually have to like mm-hmm. put your coins into a pot called staking. And that could be for like a month or three years or something. And based on that, you can increase your voting power. Uh, there are all sorts of different rules, but Basically, the reason why this... And that's, I'm sorry, that represents, I'm just trying to tie everything to 
why human beings who are still flesh and blood, damn it, like, why are they doing this? So that's the idea that, well, if you're willing to freeze your funds for mm -hmm. X amount of time, then you're committed to this right. idea. Yeah, so it's you commitment. therefore deserve to vote on it. Yeah, it's yeah. commitment voting. Okay, but that makes in sense. in the end, it's still, if I have 10 mana and you have 20,000 mana, it's going to be super, like, wh where's the fairness there? I have to put my 10 mana right. up for three years to get a slightly higher value of voting, and you just throw 1,000, and there's no way I can compete with that, right? And so there's something inherently weird about that when we are both one human soul and one human right. body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then, I mean, this gets into very, like, deep philosophical territory. Is, is totally. One, is oh, one... This all touches on, like, what should human <laughs> life be? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, is one person, one vote the ideal... Is direct democracy the ideal governance? Well, I don't know. Brexit happened. Yeah, right? I don't know. We have Prop to argue happened. about that yeah. at length. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's very, it's a really good question. But then what, what, how do you do it? Is it one person, one vote augmented by reputation? The blockchain can actually tie your act, your actions to mm. your, your, you know, online being. And then maybe your reputation augments your voting power rather than that. And for that to happen, you have to have proof of personhood or proof of humanity. And this is the big problem because uh, if MetaMask is the is the most popular crypto wallet, right? So that's where you put your Bitcoin and your Ethereum okay. and all these different coins. And I'm just using MetaMask. It could be any wallet. But what sure. you can do is if I, if, if I have a rule where I say, okay, everyone... Everyone in my DAO gets one vote or there's this thing called quadratic voting or whatever, something tied to your identity. Everyone gets this mm -hmm. vote. Okay, let's do a vote. And then I expect Michael to do one vote. I expect Griffin to do one vote. I expect everyone to have one vote. Well, ultimately what happens is because it's tied to a coin in a wallet, if I have 10,000 mm -hmm. coins, I can theoretically make 10,000 wallets and vote 10,000 times, right? Um, and this is called a right. Sybil attack, and it's the it's like the bane of crypto. Uh, there's already a name for it. Sure, oh no, well, it's a it's a. I mean, these are <laughs> these are these are older terms than just crypto. Time honored traditions of fucking with each other. Yeah. yeah, and so you need proof of humanity, which is difficult. There are some services that are doing proof of humanity, but it's like a it's like a fucking hostage situation. You know, you have to like stand stand in front of your webcam with a with a newspaper from today and your your crypto wallet address That's and your name. And then it has this I know this is just a vibe thing because it is good to prove uh, but then it's like to achieve openness you need surveillance. Yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah, and then who they owns seem antithetical to each other? Yeah. Right. Weird. Yeah, crypto is inherently anonymous and then you're act asking people to put into a centralized database their proof of their life proof that they are real. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like uh you know, some 1984 shit where you're like, freedom is slavery. Yeah. <laughs> so until, so then there are things like social graphs. And what that means is basically like your connections on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter all interact within this algorithm to say like, well, you know, Michael does have a lot of online interactions. He's probably a human. And then you would get, mm. you know, you would get your, your Qualify account, your qualifier vote. based on those interactions. Now, what that means I is see. you're tied to Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, right? So, like, where 
where where are we escaping right. from these problems? So these are these are open problems, I would say. Um, but anyways, the central land is a DAO. These are things that they have to deal with. But anyway, they, but the but the people who own the mana get to control it. People who own more mana get to mm-hmm. control it more. It's not a fair system right now. It's not super democratic. But this is the that that detour was what people are thinking about to make these systems more fair. And hopefully that'll be right. something in the future. And uh, you know, one of the big one of one of the big hopes is like freedom of work. So that instead of working for a corporation, there are already crypto native people who kind of float between these DAOs doing various bits of work and getting uh bounties basically so you do some some programming you write an article whatever they need they'll pay you in either their cryptocurrency or their cryptocurrency and fiat which is dollars or whatever so there are all sorts of different things and this is it's it's just another flexible way for people to uh, exist outside of the structures that so many are struggling to escape from these days this is neither here nor there but why is it called fiat why don't they just call it dollars well well, fiat is just the term for like the like the real the real world money um (laughs) but no crypto is the term for the fake money we already have a term for real money it's the word money (laughs) anyway doesn't matter (laughs) i feel like a dinosaur for real right now (laughs) well why well, because I'm saying I've isn't isn't dollars already the term for real actual money? Well, fiat is any government issued money, but oh, okay. but it's not You're just backed informing by, me of a word I don't know. Yeah, fiat money gotcha. is is government money that's not backed by gold or any other kind of thing. Gotcha. So it's kind of you know I mean dollars are already well I don't want to go down that road but. You know, you could argue that dollars are already kind of, they have the same volatility or a construct. It's a a fiction, but, but anyways. Well, and then everything is because at one point we all just agreed this rock is called gold. This is the one that's worth money, which is, can be exchanged for goods and services. Like, you know, what is anything, but we can't dig all the way down to that level. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but these DAOs do have fiat money. A lot of them, if they get big enough, they build treasuries that start investing in diverse portfolios like a normal company or organization, right? So they might actually invest in in yuan or dollars and other and Ethereum mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So uh, some of these are some of these have gotten pretty large, and uh, it, it's it, it's super exciting. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of legal concerns around it. The Wyoming was the first state to create um, legally recognized DAOs, and they were also the first oh, state to create limited liability corporations. So they're kind of they're on the frontier mm. of like these these legal fictions for for organizations, and it just has not been it hasn't been tested. No one has sued a DAO and figured yeah. out like, oh, it is this a thing or does every person in this DAO actually share liability and we're actually suing every single person and they're going to have to foot the bill to pay whatever judgment. So <laughs> there's like, there's some like, and how would you enforce that and all this stuff? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, some, a lot of these people are 
pretty anonymous. I mean, I'm sure if the NSA or something wanted to get involved, they could track them down. But you know, what kind of resources? But it would take effort. Right. The people are trying to be yeah. anonymous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't know. We don't know what's happening with that yet. Um, but it's it's exciting. And Wyoming has did that was pretty bold. A lot of people don't like the Wyoming Dow because it actually kind of imposes some like, limitations. Yeah. I like that Wyoming's just like we we're the state that believes. We'll believe you. You say this is a, this new thing is real. We believe you. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but when someone sues them and a judge is like, ah, mm-hmm. I don't buy it. <laughs> That's no yeah. good. Then we'll uh, see. Yeah. So the Dow's ultimately. So right now, where we are in this in this world is the Dow's have people running them still so they're not really autonomous uh you could argue they're no more decentralized than a public company like there are far more google shareholders than there are decentraland shareholders right um but Mm -hmm. they also don't you know the way that that it develops is it's more like an open source community where there's no real management team and people are kind of elected to positions and they have responsibilities but can change jobs and right now that still operates very much like a corporation because of this plutocratic voting where the people with the most coins have the most power Uh, eventually the idea is to have people less and less involved in the operations of these organizations so that um, the smart contracts themselves like things written on the ethereum blockchain can automatically commit resources and assign people and disintermediate the operations so that no one has to trust each other. As we've always done, we create more and more sophisticated tools and we hand the reins slowly over to those tools for anything that can be sort of automatically done. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so that's, that's like the crypto side of things. Um, It's, it's very exciting. It's very new. And it's also not well adopted and a lot of people don't trust it, right? Like, especially- It's also not accessible. It seems to go out of its way. Like, I never feel less well-spoken or dumber than doing this podcast. And I love doing this podcast with you. But uh, the crypto side of things especially feels like it's almost intentionally impenetrable. It is. and, And you can see this in the design of these products too. The people who are making these early crypto products are not- product people in a in many cases they're the most Mm. extreme nerds who are excited about a new technology and they're learning how to use it and then like shoehorning it into stuff they think people will like and most of the solutions are just wildly out of touch with what a a normal human being would want to do or like you're way overestimating my intelligence slash commitment to learning how to do this new thing like I just told you, did, you yeah. <laughs> I just told you that in order to be in Decentraland, like you have to understand like political theory, right? It's so it right the burden and staking on, and yeah, not a mask, and I don't even know what the word fiat means. Like, how <laughs> what hope is there for me? <laughs> it's it, it's an incredible it's an incredible amount of information, and I, I think eventually it will probably become pretty commonplace. But mm-hmm. you know. Again, next episode we're going to talk more about this, but these are these are the burdens I think that 
are on all of us now. We have to undo. And it's cool. It's just cool to think this is like, you know, it's okay that I'm becoming older and losing touch. And not that you can't learn this stuff or come to understand it or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. But this feels like the kind of thing that my grandchildren will be fluent in. And yet, you know, it takes a lot of effort for me to wrap my head around. I, I would caution accepting that attitude. I, uh, I really believe not just blockchain technologies, but just the sheer number of technologies that are advancing at a rate difficult to comprehend, like as a human, any human, mm-hmm. uh, means that we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. I work in a car factory and then I retire. Now the car factory you work in is actively being dismantled by other technologies as you're working. And in two years, you may not have a job anymore. And all of your skills and may those be technologies obsolete. are being decentralized and disintermediated by other technologies that didn't exist last week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really happening quickly. So, so I'll say it again uh, next time probably, but that's my real intention for for doing, doing this is I hope pe- anyone listening to this can take to heart that uh, this is not a time to be <laughs> Like just laying down and saying, okay, well, interesting stuff happens. Like we have to actively adapt and start to learn how to learn about these technologies. Because if if you don't keep up, I really feel like in the next decade or two, the mm. the gaps are going to widen and it will be difficult to close them. Uh if we well, yeah, if we don't head. start changing how we do things. This was ARG specific, but we were talking on the phone the other day and you described it as getting to the point where it will be almost like being a different species that has like you either have the constant perfect recall of all information humanity's ever assembled at your fingertips or you don't. And yeah, that's a very big difference when it comes to <laughs> yes. navigating the world. Yeah, yeah. You either are a superhuman or you're a monkey, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah, free guy. Yeah. It was a, it was a. a okay movie but the 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 message there (laughs) you're a generous man but sure (laughs) Uh, interesting from the metaverse perspective yeah well i mean yeah we'll talk about it more later um sure so there's also on cyber i mentioned it a little bit earlier it's focused right now mainly on nft galleries they've got some cool stuff um you actually have to apply there's no land scarcity Anyone can start an NFT gallery, but you have to apply to be one of their artists to like make the gallery templates. And I, until last or until this week, actually, I didn't really care that much about it. I I don't, the idea of just having NFT galleries is kind of boring to me. I'm sure they have much bigger plans, but they did something, I think like yesterday or the day before that blew me away, which was they made these portals Uh, And a lot of platforms have portals, but they made these portals that show you the next world that you can walk into and the load times between them. You don't walk into them until they're loaded, but you can, you know, like you push E or whatever and it starts to load and it's only a couple seconds as if you're like clicking on a hyperlink, right? Well, it's like, um, did you see Ratchet and Clank rift apart? This was their big selling point. Was was walking between worlds? 
or no load was time? it was a vi- it was a video game where the loading of the next level was so fast that you could literally shoot with your portal gun and like whip through the portal and be in a completely new environment yeah. with completely different graphics rendered. Oh yeah. So it's very similar to that. It's not as fast as that. It's not a native client. These are this is running on right. a Chrome browser or something, right? But it's that's the first, insane. It's the yeah. first time I've seen actually walking through a portal and just seamlessly changing the world that you're in and I, I i thought i would mention it because it's an innovation that uh is one of my favorite things to think about i think the how portals exist and are shaped um is going to be very difficult for people to deal with because right now we have oh little text. there's a famous axiom in game design i've learned since starting my new job that Doors are like one of the hardest things to design. Uh, just the idea of separating one space from another, opening and closing a door, not getting stuck on the door as it opens or closes. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, portaling is very key to navigation and traversal. Yeah. Uh, this is neither here nor there, but real quick, just so I remember and so other people can check it out. One of the, you showed me an NFT project that is one of the few that struck me as that's actually something that's kind of cool where they all combine when like if you own two of these they combine and genetically create a third one and if you essentially someday if someone can acquire the entire collection they would all merge into just one thing yeah what is that called so people can check it out merge it's by an artist called it's called merge okay and it was the you know we had we had a spirited conversation about this you didn't seem to be as into it um <laughs> i'm a very as people are for the reasons that you've elucidated i'm like nft it must be some kind of scam and i have since come around to being like nah this is pretty cool actually oh, okay i still don't think in the same way that i look at a jeff coons piece and i go yes it has artistic merit it doesn't mean it's worth 30 million dollars but i you know but so much of that is just a fabrication of the market or whatever if you strip away how much the things are selling for, it merge is really cool. Yeah. I don't know that it's $13,000 per unit. Oh, cool, it's not. But well, I don't think it's that much right now. Um, I think, I think they sold like 280,000 of them or something, or I don't, I don't know if pack, actually what the gender of pack is. It's a, they're a mystery, but um, mm-hmm. pack sold like 200 something thousand, I think to like 30,000 people or something. And it, and made, I think like $91 million or something. And now over time, people will trade these these merges and try to create the alpha right. merge, right? Um, so is that art good enough to be worth that money? That's neither here nor there, and it gave me sticker shock. But the thing itself is super cool. Yeah, and, and I'll actually just, just more context for it is the art itself is a circle. Like they're just JPEGs of circles. And... I personally think that this is an exciting part of NFTs and and the promise of or you know the possibilities of them is it's not it's not just art it's almost it's not it's not performance art and it's not high art based on technical skill like a technical artistic skill it's almost transactional art or it's, the art of shaping a transaction it's like what game would you call art? it yeah it's it's yeah. using human psychology to shape values in ways that the artist can't even 
predict and like looking at the emergent behaviors of crowds like this it's it's a new and exciting thing and it's all built on how cleverly you can design these smart contracts and when you think about it in retrospect it's like why didn't anyone else do something that can merge two nfts together before that and it's like well just no one had we're at that we're at that point right now where people are it's just a playground and someone like pack who has who has the clout to do something big like that can generate 91 million dollars in a day i think it was four days actually but okay so yeah i looked at well they're not just circles right they're spheres or are they just us? I'm anyway because I mean, Pack does a bunch of stuff, and some of it looks pretty complex, like his little CG renderings yeah. of little objects. Yeah, the cubes but, were the last big thing Pack did. Um, but merge is just spheres, and they just—I mean, I, the the picture that I have in my wall—I have one of them. I just mm. I don't have any more than that. But I bought one. It's just like a picture of a circle. <laughs> so then my question is, what does if you merge your JPEG of a black circle with a JPEG of a black circle, doesn't it just make another black circle? It makes a slightly or larger circle with mass two. <laughs> oh, oh, it has a different mass. Yeah, they have. Yeah. So eventually the alpha merge has like 270,000 mass or whatever. Thousand mass. Okay. And then, gotcha. I mean, just think like think of so it was ninety one. So even though Pack does create art, and some of their NFTs are cool looking images, the Merge project is not necessarily striking visual art. No. The art is no. the transactional nature of what they're doing. And the best part, the the most exciting part, is the Merge. It's considered an art piece. So the Merge art piece sold for $91 million to a bunch of different people, right? Right. I don't know how long it's going to take for this alpha merge to exist or if it ever will, but the amount of people energy that will go into that amount of trading to get 270,000 mass, like what will that translate into in terms of a dollar amount? Like what will that alpha merge mean? how how much is the community worth and like it's very difficult right. for me to like come. someday there might be an article 7 years from now that says oh by the way the alpha merge finally happened and it sold at auction for a billion dollars yeah, i mean like, like that makes sense <laughs> i i it or <laughs> and it's just a little circle and and uh, pack will cute. get I, I don't know. I can't remember what the royalties are, but PAC will get 5% or 10% of every single transaction. So that's the, that's the power of NFTs too, is they can, you can, you can put in the smart contract, unlike a normal piece of art, which in Europe, there are laws that are supposed to protect artists and give them uh, commissions, ba- like yeah, royalties yeah. based on every sale, but it's never enforced. And so uh, NFTs do that automatically, and and that's I, that's I think one of the, the greatest uh, utilities of the art NFTs is they they give these people who are basically marginalized in in most societies, and um, you know not everyone's getting super I mean, rich, but it really is sure. giving. I was credit like, not pack is not marginalized no, no more. No, no, most mo- but most people are not getting rich. You know, uh, right. Yeah, people aren't selling out of their NFT projects with 91, $91 million. It's ridiculous. Um, but I have one, so I contributed. 
there's another big detour, <laughs> but, but it's a big part of what's happening in the background. Um, the non-crypto side of things is a little less mature and hyped right now. And like I said, a lot of it's older technology. So probably the, probably the grand granddaddy of the metaverse, I mean, is arguable, but Second Life has been around forever. I remember your dad playing it when we were like, mm-hmm. when we were kids. Um, and it has a lot of, it, like, honestly, it has most of the same stuff that Decentraland has. It just doesn't use NFTs. Like, you can still buy land in Second Life. You can do all this stuff, but it's just not on the blockchain. And a lot of people have criticism for Decentraland and these other platforms. So they're like, you're just doing what Second Life did 20 years ago and saying that you're some sort of technological wonder when really, what's the difference? Um, and I think mm. that's a fair criticism because in in Second Life, if I sell you a piece of land in Second Life and then Linden Labs goes under, that's gone, right? You're not going to get that land back. In Decentraland, right. but what's that? Isn't the same true of Decentraland? Like if the company went under and they ceased to exist, that or like the sandbox could go away someday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you may own the land, you may own the the hash on the blockchain, but if it's not tied to anything, then what does it matter, right? Like if I can't right. use it, then it's not really land. And so this is a personal this is a personal preference. I think the land scarcity thing is an absolute. I was going to use a stronger word, but I think it's I think it's the wrong direction to go in. Um, I don't think okay. it will it will not lead to anyone many mass adoption. Right, it's only going to be accessible to people who can afford the land, and it ultimately just prevents people from doing the thing that all this stuff says it's it's meant for, which is you know expressing creativity and and you know bringing more of ourselves. Yeah to our digital identities connection all the good stuff it's really preventing a lot of that and i mean we know this right we live in southern california or i live in southern california michael used to live in la lives in san francisco now land is like one of the worst parts of being alive in the real world right like landlords (laughs) and and housing prices it's insane even even in idaho or montana right now like everything has gotten so bad why would we recreate that in a limitless parallel universe. It's it's insane. Right. But it is how people raised money early on before all this hype existed, right? Meta didn't rename itself mm-hmm. in 2017. How how was a ragtag group of of people supposed to create uh, an online, you know, virtual city? Uh, they did what they could think of, which was sell land. Right. So so that's where we are. Um but but Second Life Philip Rosedale, from Se- uh, the creator of Second Life, has really been a through line of this whole story. Um, from Second Life, there was High Fidelity, which was another Philip Rosedale uh, project. And I think they also did uh, Sansar, which was sold and I think is defunct now as of like two weeks ago. But I th- it might be floating around or something. But Philip Rosedale has done a lot of these projects. None of them have quite worked the way that you would want. Um, second life, second life is really interesting because it's so old and it has been updated over time, but it's just never gotten that like mass appeal that you would think it 
it would be getting right now. And I know they're trying to to revamp it again. And Philip Rosedale actually just came back as an advisor for them. But it, it's it's kind of a cautionary tale, right? Like we're doing all this stuff, we're talking about all this stuff, but why hasn't anyone adopted it? And that is where I think, and I'll, I'm I'm going to explicitly say like I am biased and full disclosure, I am working on a startup based on these technologies. Um, but this is where the web metaverse comes in. Second Life has a huge barrier to entry. And even though it seems small to most people listening to this, I'm sure, the fact that you have to download something and and open that up every time you want to use Second Life, uh, meaning a client, any any native client, um, which is a big right. problem for Oculus Quest too, it's, it means that it means that grandma can't go to it, really. It means that mom's probably not going to go to it. It means it, it's only in the realm of people invested in these experiences. And while that may be good for, you know, for the cool club, uh, it means that it can never really take on a life of its own because it's going to be insular and... Uh, it's just going to be like you said, you can generate all this hype and you can have 13,000 people in this tiny room trading millions and millions of dollars around. But most people, most people walking the face of the earth will still be like, well, there's that interesting thing over there that doesn't concern me happening over there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like, well, how do you make that leap to where it's a normal course part of human life? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, okay. The techno wizards are off in their little party again. Okay. I'm just going to go about my day. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's how it's been. And I mean, even when we were kids, your dad on Second Life, I was like, what is the point of this? And you guys just like <laughs> right. walking around, talking to each other. And I know it's much more it's much more complicated than that these days. Um, like it has its own economy, but it's... I didn't know it was still... This is how like it hasn't caught on. I didn't know it still was active. I thought Second Life was defunct. Oh, no, no, yeah. It's. I think they still have like... I think they have like a, I want to say a million monthly users or something, which is like, damn, well, not too sound, shabby. It sounds like a lot, but it's just not I think, like Facebook has 2 billion monthly users or something. like that. Sure. Sure. I mean, okay. it's like the scale of the things that we're talking about are uh, different orders of magnitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many, many orders of magnitude. Um, but yeah, I, so that's that's where we are. We got those these web-based solutions now. And none of them are quite mature yet. The first so there's a there's a lineage here uh starting with I I think one of the most important is actually this thing called Janus VR which uh was a VR only native client metaverse kind of experience thing from like the mid 20 teens uh but this guy james bayakano is he's basically just been a one man kind of like kind of like a merlin toiling in his his tower for the past decade and he ba- he he actually just used janus and made a web client for it like just independently and he was using he was walking around in their world for a month or so until they finally figured out what was happening and they offered him a job. So then he actually started making a web client for, for the platform. Wow. The company 
could not monetize anything. Uh, it was ba- it was basically a social spatial web experience. So spatial web is just the meta is it's the metaverse uh, with old terminology. So 3D website, and it, uh, it just never no one wanted to pay money for it. It was I think it was clunky. It was older technology. It was VR only in a time when no one had VR. So it just didn't work out. But what happened was the Janus company open sourced the Janus code and James Biacono is still maintaining that code. And I mean, it may be bold to say this, but I basically think that that work has spawned. I think it may, it may be that that has, that spawns the ultimate solution to what this metaverse stuff is because the Mozilla, so like this guy might be remembered as like the founding father yeah, of this shit. <laughs> yeah, like he, yeah, he's he's someone who like there might be a statue of in the metaverse somewhere, like the the sure. the, the virtual the the metaverse Louvre uh, statuary garden, and he'll be looking at Philip Rosedale or something uh, across across the courtyard, but. <laughs> It's really cool because basically, basically this community is still super small and all paths lead from Janus. Like all of these, all of these builders are, you know, they, they start at Janus and I feel lucky that I ran and ran into those guys. Um, but Janus had a specific purpose and was built on technology, you know, many years ago in a time where technology moves incredibly quickly. And so I think personally, and like, I don't want to do a sales pitch for this, but I think personally, and I'm now personally invested. You're not just a spokesman, you're a member. Yeah. Uh, this thing called XR engine, it is, uh, an open source, you know, like end to end metaverse creation engine. It's basically a game engine for, the web. So it's, it's mm-hmm. right now it's the only thing that I know of that's mature. That's not based on unity pretty much. And one of the big kind of going back to an earlier comment, one of the big issues with all of these platforms, the central land on cyber spatial.io is another one. Crypto voxels, all the stuff built on unity, unity's license will not let you double white label something. So while you may not know, that uh, that spatial.io is built on Unity. You think maybe it has its own game engine that they've created. They cannot then turn around and sell you a website that you can host on your own domain. So you couldn't have michaelswam.com. Okay, through I'm slowly spatial. understanding what double white label yeah. means. So you're saying they can give me permission, but I am not bestowed with the ability to give permission. Right. Buy that permission. <laughs> right? and so, Which you need for the whole thing to work. It, Otherwise, you can't create a connected web of stuff. Right. And so so the ultimate problem is that where will, where will Disney go to host their metaverse? They're going to use their own domains. Where, where are all these brands going to go? Honestly, right. even the crypto brands does you know, where will, where will they want to go? Are they only going to want to exist within the central land or the sandbox or something, or will they want their own headquarters somewhere that's not connected to these other, to these other platforms. And right now, mm-hmm. like without the sex what is the engine, engine upon which that is built? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and, uh, that's, uh, 
you know, it's, it's just about mature. And that's kind of what, what my new project is with the team who made that. They've been working for a couple of years building it through a consultancy, but it's all open source. And the idea is that, um, you know, very much like a WordPress, but for the spatial web, it is not, it's crypto optional, which I also think is important because while I believe the NFTs, the NFT technology will increase the capabilities of all of these, you know, digital ownership paradigms and everything. It's not widely adopted yet, right? Um, it's not a down, or you're not having. It doesn't involve labyrinthine voting. No, and over, the, and that's actually yeah. because I was so I, I was, you know, this is just what my 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 uh, labyrinthine path through this whole world is. I I came across Janus, and I was actually talking to um, James Bayakanow about revamping the Janus engine, and you know, was really just about to start that. And I still kind of regret that I, you know, I didn't because I really like him and I think it would have been cool to do. But I saw this, this XR engine and I was like, oh, I'm already beaten. <laughs> they're, they're two years ahead. They've gone, they've mm-hmm. gone in a, in a really great direction. So, uh, you know, watch out for this, check it out. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really exciting. It's the documentation's not the best yet because they're still developing it. But if you are interested in getting involved in like open source metaverse creation, this would, I'm basically giving you like, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the, the secrets to the things you can go check out. Uh, and I, yeah. I want to put a couple links in the, in the show notes. Oh so yeah. We, send them along. We'll definitely include them. It does it stand for extreme reality. Oh no. XR is actually the, uh, it's term for, it's cross reality. So it basically means okay. augmented reality close. or virtual reality. So it's XR instead of uh, AR. Uh, both. Yeah. I see. And so this was born, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit. Um, Janus was kind of a, a revolution in that sense. And then Mozilla, the people who make Firefox, right? Mm-hmm. They actually created a standard called WebXR. And that is, that's kind of like the mainstream that has built all these tools. So there's XR Engine. There's Mozilla Hubs. There's A-Frame. There are like a couple, a couple solutions. Um, I don't think anyone's as mm-hmm. complete as XR Engine, but this all stems from Mozilla. I think kind of. I don't want to say that they copied James back in his homework, but I kind of believe that they did probably. And uh, and that's the world we're living in. And you know, with all the new headsets, augmented reality headsets, and everything that are, yeah, you know, going to be web enabled. Uh, this is, you know, the next year or two is going to be a very exciting time Man, for all this. Yeah. So, yeah, just to track the narrative of this little mini series so far, we're basically seeing the story of a bunch of different convergent technologies, web technologies, uh, the art world. It's so interesting because it impacts politics. Like we've discussed, you know, voting regulations and the SEC is involved, but it's also fully an art thing and a marketing thing and a video game thing. And you tie it all together with all these new technologies, you wrap that all up. And what we're driving at is this universe where you can just log on to the web as seamlessly as you today log on to the internet and do whatever you create want <laughs> using an engine, right? And create these worlds to share, to interact. So next episode, I gather we'll be talking about, okay, so let's say we, 
we get there and we have our XR engine and we've made it accessible, right? Mm -hmm. And even grandma can go, I hate, well, let's say grandpa. It doesn't have to always be gendered in that way. So even grandpa can go and fuck around and make his little world and be like, I understand the metaverse. It's cool. How do you connect them all together? And I and that's a whole episode unto itself. And it will have right? no solutions, but I'll be able to say all the problems that need to get solved. <laughs> okay, great. Because that's the dream that we laid out with things like uh, Snow Crash. The dream is a completely seamless, interconnected one of these right. that we're describing. Right? That's the dream. Yeah, and and I think that's that's what some has kind of gotten lost in translation. I think is a lot of people look at these platforms like horizons or decentraland or the sandbox or any of them and they say oh well, mm -hmm. they're trying to make the metaverse and it's like no there is no way that's possible even mark zuckerberg would say that the metaverse mm -hmm. is the seamless interconnection and interoperability with content portability between those worlds that's the open metaverse at least and yeah uh, it has a, it has a myriad of problems uh, that will <laughs> be very difficult to actually get through in an episode but it will it will present where we are and what needs to happen for this parallel reality enabling superhumanity to exist so that'll be next time next time on science or whatever thank you griffin thank you uh yeah, I don't know why we thank each other at the end. Tell people where they can find you if they're if they want to follow you online. Oh uh, yeah, it, my Twitter is Griffosaurus. I'm not super active on it, but I would be happy if anyone's interested to provide any content or get more active. Uh, you can always just DM me too. I love talking about this. I spend all day doing it. That's I'll, we can put in the show notes too, probably. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say, or check out the show notes, Patreon.com/smallbeans, and we'll have all kinds of additional links and material that Griffin will provide. Yeah, get in touch. I'd love to get more and more people involved. All right, till next time. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you! <laughs>